Hello there, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's edition of Peter and Ralph's Weekly Chat. And I'm joined, as always, by Ralph Hebgen, former superstar equity analyst in our London studio. This week, we are going to cover three, sorry, three, um, uh, three uh, topics. Firstly, um, we, we've got some advice for President Biden. Secondly, how to monetize AI, artificial intelligence. And thirdly, will TikTok get banned? And if it did, what would happen? So those are the um, the things that we are going to be talking about today. So uh, in terms of uh, just kicking off um, with regard to the first thing, because I know that President Biden, or, you know, obviously listens to this uh, podcast. So we just thought we'd give him some advice. Anyway, the reason why we, um, uh, you know, why, why we are talking about this is because he has actually um, put forward plans for big tax increases um, that will affect all sorts of massive companies investors, billionaires, um, like Ralph, obviously, um, although if he was American. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's some very, there's some big stuff here. So um, tax rises um, for, you know, uh, so they, they're going to be a, a, a 25% minimum tax of billionaires, a corporation tax rate of 28%, um, a doubling of foreign, uh, you know, on taxes on the foreign earnings of US corporations. And what I also think is particularly um, uh, is surprising, which I have to say I've not really heard much about, um, so clearly I need to get out more, um, but is a quadrupling of tax on corporate share buybacks, uh, and that would go from 1% to 4%. Now, like I say, when I saw that, I... I thought I'd never I've not actually didn't know that tax was there um, but to certainly to quadruple it especially when we've heard of, of companies um, most recently notably banks and utilities companies and oil companies having these massive um, share buybacks um, it certainly is um, of the moment uh, but anyway what do you think of that Ralph <laughs> Well, as always, it's a big topic to uh, to respond to. Now, mm -hmm. what I think, first of all, is I think the U.S. deficit is now approaching something like $3 trillion. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we are getting to levels of magnitude here where uh, you have to actually see that the money is going to come in from somewhere. This mm -hmm. is, by the way, analogous to the UK. We are in the same, in a, in a very similar situation. <clears throat> and of course, we all know where these deficit, deficits come from. Mm -hmm. They come from various support programs uh, which were made necessary by the pandemic. They are made necessary by further support programs which are made necessary by very high electricity costs feeding into into general cost of living costs, etc. So we know why uh, budget deficits are high. We as citizens all need that support, but mm -hmm. unfortunately, we also have to pay for it somehow. And that has to be done through higher taxes. So that in itself is not really a surprise, I believe, to anybody. What is interesting is that some of the sources of incremental tax revenue are sort of perhaps feeding into a traditional Republican prejudice of what a Democrat-led uh, government, a Democratic you know, government would actually do. And that is, first of all, to tax the rich, 
and second of all to tax business and um, and that's sort of what, what what he's doing but 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 i think also we need to remember and put this into a context which we might have forgotten and that is that president trump has obviously uh, reduced corporation tax in a very material way to what I think was something like 30% to 20%, so reduced about 10 percentage points. So uh, relative to a, a low level, we're coming up to levels which are not as high as mm. they used to be pre-Trump administration. Mm -hmm. So that puts that in, in, in context perhaps a little bit. Uh, the second thing which I'd like to say is, yes, the increase from one to four percentage point or percent uh, um, tax on uh, share buybacks is interesting as a, as a signal because I, I don't really know what I think of that so much because it sort of penalizes companies, arguably, who have been cash generative to such an extent that they are able to um, con conduct a share buyback. Um, it also, by perhaps making that less tax efficient than it used to be, incentivizes people to pe people being being the corporate sector now to opt for a reinvestment of the funds into their ongoing business rather than a return of cash to shareholders. Mm -hmm. And we, I think we can argue about this until the, the proverbial cows come home, because it's a philosophical. Um, choice i believe but at the margin i i'm i'm guessing that if you want to put this into a context of windfall taxes then you have a perhaps a similar dynamic here i mean the windfall taxes levied on companies which through extraneous circumstances are realizing super normal profits at the moment these are the energy companies of course and it is held to be socially acceptable to actually put a one-time tax on companies of this nature. Mm -hmm. A quadrupling of a arguably low tax rate on share buybacks is a similar sort of thing, but it has a much broader and wider application. So I'm, I'm not so sure what I think of that. I'd rather not to have seen that happening because it, to, to me, it still disincentivizes companies from... Um, from choosing a form of re re return um, allocation to investors, which is a share buyback. But mm. uh, I, I think my preference here is at the margin. It doesn't really matter that much. But is, I, I just thought it was interesting to see the Biden administration make these choices. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And mind you, though, I do kind of think that... Um... You know the windfall. I just going on the on the windfall, uh, not the windfall tax. The um, share buyback. The the share buyback tax. Mm -hmm. um, in a way, you could say that's you're, you're going to be double taxing, aren't you? Really? Mm -hmm. um, yes. But but the 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 interesting thing there is, it's not just you know you would be targeting all sectors, not just um, those you know the the super normal profit ones. So that you would have thought that could potentially disincentivize um share buybacks although i mean what do you think i mean i i've always thought you know with share buybacks quite a lot of the time 
it just shows that the company doesn't know doesn't know what they doesn't know what to do hmm. and so it's like well i don't know we can't invest in this or i don't want to invest in that so what are we going to do now <laughs> uh i don't know let's do a buyback <laughs> or yeah just you know or either that or our share price is an absolute nightmare at the moment we're being shorted um loads so why don't we just get rid of the shorts and to buy back our own shares, they're going to have to run away and they'll leave us alone. Um, so, yeah, you know. yeah who, who knows? I mean, to, to be honest with you, in the end, I don't think um, necessarily there was that much thought behind it and, and maybe mm. we shouldn't think too much about it, but <clears throat> but but it does disincentivize share buybacks over dividend income. Mm, mm. I mean, basically, companies have two choices. Obviously, uh, at the end of the <laughs> profit and loss account, so to speak, mm. is the net earnings. First, you have profits, then you pay the tax, then you have the net earnings. Out of this net earnings, you pay dividends, um, and it is your choice how much in dividends do you wish to pay. Mm. If you have a company which has growth opportunities to take advantage of, then you might argue that you pay less of a dividend in order to retain mm. more investment in the company, yeah, investment course, yeah. which you will be able to turn into future earnings mm. through the uh, exploitation of the growth opportunities which are at your disposal. Mm. Mm. If you pay a higher dividend, then you might argue, well, our industry is currently X growth or there is not that much growth opportunity in our industry. Mm. Whatever we will do as a company or management team, that's something which we cannot change. Mm. However, because we are a, 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 an efficient management team which has the right ideas, we are still generating a lot of cash. Mm. We may not have so much growth but we are efficient in what we do. And mm, so therefore mm. we generate cash. Mm. It is therefore right for us to pay some of that cash out to our owners who are the mm. investors. And mm. therefore we are paying a higher dividend. Mm. Now from year to year, there might be a situation where we have particularly high earnings to distribute. Mm-hmm. And then we might actually choose to do a share buyback mm-hmm. on top mm-hmm. or pay a special dividend. And this is the choice which a change in tax of this nature, as the Biden administration has just announced, mm-hmm. would disincentivize against. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all things equal, you would now a company which might actually think about what are we going to do? Are we going to pay a special divvy? Or are we going to do a share buyback? Mm. They might actually opt to do a special dividend. But even if even this lengthy uh, explanation still doesn't tackle all the details because a share buyback is only um, value additive if, if your share price is, is at a certain level. So let's not discuss that. Mm. And also, of course, the complexities are go further because I have just said that all of this is done out of out of after tax profit, after profits after you have paid the tax. Mm. Now the tax is also being increased here. So Mm. there's a blanket disincentive put on the corporate sector. Mm. That is true. But I'm just going to go back to my initial point. Uh, That is from a low base, which is 10 percentage points lower Mm. than it used to be in the pre-Trump administration Mm. on a backdrop of significantly enlarged Mm. public debt. 
And so yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I just think these are the signs of the times. We mm. see them in the UK in the same way. Mm. I, I, I do find it interesting, and this is probably beyond the scope of what we are going to be able to discuss today, but just as a just a putting it out there, I, I've never really seen a progressive corporate yeah. tax system. Yeah. We all know what the progressive personal tax income tax system looks like and mm. and i think most people would agree with the fact that it is equitable and just fair uh, to tax people a higher you know not just amount but tax rate who make so, more money so sorry in terms just for you know listeners who, who don't know so progressive tax is one that basically increases depending on you know the the amount of money we're talking about so a progressive income tax it base you you know you pay certain percents if a percentage of your earnings if you you hit a certain threshold and yeah. then another one on another threshold etc cetera, etc cetera. so the idea is i mean the, the you know corporation tax i believe is just flat. a flat rate yeah um where where and so what we're suggesting and this is you know biden if you're listening um is is the whole idea of potentially having a similar scale of corporation tax because you know i as a for instance my you know my company which is sahar consulting um you know i i'm it's a very 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 small company here here it is <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um and the thing is 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 that you know it does seem a bit strange to for me to suddenly have to pay tax as you know the same rate as a as something that's much bigger yeah uh, but anyway i'm sorry carry on yes you are a small company this is true you Thank pay, you. Well, you slightly pay, chubby company but yeah yeah you pay pay a crap salary to the country yeah sorry yeah that's right yeah oh <laughs> okay well that's a different topic i'm just yeah. lo- looking into the camera sort of whoa yeah, I mean, no, I, yeah that's right yeah yeah keep have to keep my money together because yeah Peter's not paying me anything. That's right. That, well, that's I don't why you're having to I wait, don't... wear hats and all sorts. You're, yeah, not, able exactly. to, you're not able to heat your, you know, heat Beat your room, my house. You, so. Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my mug as well. I don't even yeah. get a bloody Mac with a <laughs> face on it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, yeah. What I, yes, indeed, progressive tax systems are just simply that. In the UK, for example, I think, I can't remember exactly, I think it's £12,000 or thereabouts, mm. which is tax-free. So, more specifically, the tax on which you pay. You pay on mm. this amount of money is 0%. Mm-hmm. And then you pay, I think, 20% on the next bracket, which is up to mm. 25000 or whatever it mm. might be. Mm. And then you go up and on £100,000, you then pay more tax, etc. That's called progressive tax. And normally, a corporation tax system is a flat tax. And it would be at least interesting to explore perhaps the idea to introduce some form of progressivity into mm. the corporate tax uh, system as well. Because when I see things like windfall taxes, they always cause a debate in public and in political cycles, a debate which is very often driven by agendas and ideological worldviews of whether it is right to pay, uh, sorry, to levy a tax on a company which has been well, particularly successful in particular mm. years because of certain factors. Mm. Now, you would not really have this discussion on a repeated basis if you just basically had a progressive a pro- progressive tax system which uh, levies a higher tax rate 
on mm. higher levels or layers of profit. Mm, mm. And also you would then not have to arguably levy a windfall tax on companies. But mm. we're just putting this out there as perhaps a, a topic for discussion and thought. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not blind to the fact that these kind of things, when implemented, mm. cause all manner of intricacies and complexities mm. and also generate unwanted behavior is a sort of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. We're we, we mm -hmm. aware of all this, just floating it as a mm. balloon. Yeah. So there you go, Joe. Right. You heard it here. Yeah. You heard it right here. Mr. Biden. Um, in, we... You know, the, the, the Guildford and the London <laughs> studios combining um to to help to help out our american cousins um so so there you go anyway so let's move on to the second let's move on to the second topic um which is basically how to monetize ai i now, i i yeah i yeah so um really interesting uh uh you know, article this week mm. about uh dla pipe so big uh law firm dla piper um buying, uh, well, sort of poaching uh, <laughs> 10 data scientists from a small arrival um, with the view to doing AI stuff. Um, and I thought that this was very intriguing um, because I think that this is a very good idea, a very exciting idea that could really be monetized and could bring them in a lot of money potentially mm -hmm. now um what was interesting is that um i so every week um i do a subscribers call on a thursday night six o'clock and generally speaking i go through the news of the week how the stories have developed over that week but then i introduce um two debating topics and those are in the 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 thursday edition i put them in the thursday edition and um I was sort of doing this last night and uh, one of the debating topics, I'll just sort of read it out. One of the debating topics was how will lawyers be able to make a fortune with AI? Now there is, um, there was one, one of the subscribers and I'll say his first name because I don't know if he wants me <clears throat> to tell, but I thought I'm going to mention this because this was his idea, right? This is his idea. And I've just, we're just running with it here. His name is Lorenzo. Very, very good, um, Lorenzo. If you if you're listening, hello. This is a, that was a really great idea, um, Lorenzo. So Lorenzo, yeah, no, cool guy, cool guy. And anyway, so um, the idea was that um, so Lorenzo's idea was that um, you get these, you know, you get these people in house, they build something, um, you know, for it for the in in house lawyers, like um, they have done, like you know. Uh, uh, Alan and Overy, for instance, they recently um, they uh, released a, or sort of they they unveiled a uh, um, a, a a bot, you know, a, a, a chat GPT type, you know, robot thing. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm using all the technical phrases <laughs> here. Clearly, um, but yeah, it called called Harvey, which is yeah. obviously, as everyone knows, who's a lawyer and watches Suits. That is the name of the main character. Mm. Um, so mm. anyway, so they called it Harvey. Um, so anyway, the idea would be DLA Piper, uh, you know, they, they've got these data scientists, they build something themselves, but then what they do is they build something that then can be used and adapt, ideally adapted to their client. Mm. And then what happens then is that the 
uh, clients will use that, you know, will use that. And they might, maybe they might have some, uh, you know, a, a few lawyers particularly assigned to them and a data scientist or two assigned to them. And then that way, uh, you, you, you could either you could either have that remotely or you could have, say, a lawyer going in-house to the client or something like that. This could be potentially a really big money spinner, in my opinion, because what it does is it puts it, being blunt about it. This is what I know as my sales background, but you are going to be in the client's face because you're, you're going to be they're going to be using your stuff and they're going to be asking you things as well. If you plant a you know lawyer in in there as well from your company, it just means that you are more likely to get more work from that client because you've got someone in there. Mm-hmm. They will know what's going on. The client will think, well, this person knows us, so they're well-placed, therefore we'll give them the work, etc. But you could also um, get recurring revenue, which I think is a, is, is a great, it was a great stream of revenue. And I would have thought it's pretty sticky as well, because if you, you know, are you, if you're, ri- you know, happy with the system, are you going to get rid of it? I don't think so. So, you know, it, anyway, I think it could be really big, um, not just for lawyers, but for all sorts of industries. But what yeah. do you think, Ralph? In, entirely. I mean, when you um, introduced me to this idea, to Lorenzo's idea, yeah. I immediately thought that was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, mm. I had my own thoughts on this, and I don't know where Lorenzo's thoughts end and mine mm. start. So Lorenzo, for me as well, you've got it going on, mate. That is wicked. <laughs> and <laughs> No, I, I thought it was very interesting also in context of something else. In the context of the current investor's reaction to AI, uh, investors are clearly interested in this, enthralled by the opportunities. But at the same time, investors are sort of thinking, well, have we not seen this before? We've seen a dot-com boom and that crashed. And we've seen the euphoria of companies. Everybody had to have a web strategy and an internet uh, vision, etc. And uh, it was very unclear at the time where all this w- would have gone and how exactly it was an investable idea. And I think we're seeing this now again, that investors are saying, well, AI is all good stuff. And we can see that this is some transformational stuff which is going on here. But how exactly we are going to invest in what is unclear and also some of the valuations which have recently grabbed the headlines uh, appear to look a little bit inflated given what the actual earnings generative power of some of these AIs actually is. Mm. If you take this investor skepticism, which is currently building, then I think this particular idea is an answer to that. Because uh, what we are discussing here is a real world tangible commodity, which arguably extends a measurable financial benefit to both the provider and the client. Hmm. And what I mean by this is this, if I sort of embellish this a little bit and talk about a law firm 
um, currently employing lots of data scientists mm. engaged in developing its own sort of chat GPT type AI. Mm. Then what we're talking about is a law firm which is in the process of training its AI on lots and lots of legal texts which are open source and available to everybody. But in addition to that, and crucially, training it on its own experience, its mm. own case studies, its wins and why they won and provided a good job to the client in the past, and its losses and why it at times may not have been able to provide a good job to mm. the client. All of this is going to be the body of material on which the AI is being trained. And if this is done right, then what you have is in the end a product, which is, let's call it the legal assistant or something. Well, clearly, I'm not a marketing person because that's the most boring name for a product you can possibly come yeah, up well, with. Yeah, well, you say that, but then someone came up with a brilliant name of ChatGPT, didn't they? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so micro... Of all the things they could have said, called it, they called it that. That's so... true. So Microsoft, here I am. (laughs) Excellent. So, so cool. So the the legal assistant and the legal assistant is this um, is this AI, uh, which is now being. Oh, I know. You could call her Rachel after Meghan Markle's character in in Suits. So you could call her Rachel. Anyway, sorry. That'd be good. Yeah. I think I think the act the actress is now in South Park. Maybe that's yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not such yeah, a good apparently idea. so. I have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. so we have this uh, we 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 have this AI now, this legal AI, and let's say a, a client of this law firm was a tobacco company. So the tobacco company is engaged in the production, mm-hmm. the development of a new product, vaping. I know that's not new anymore, but at some point it was, and mm-hmm. so the project team tasked with the development of this product will have certain challenges to overcome. One of these challenges is invariably going to be of a legal nature. What are the legal potential pitfalls involved if we put a vaping product into the market? Mm. Now, in the olden days, that would have that would have involved either going to the in-house lawyers or hiring potentially expensive external legal advice. Mm. With the legal assistant, the person tasked with investigating this who is on the project team of the tobacco company would just basically type into the legal assistant uh, an elaborate version of the question what can go wrong in legal terms Mm, mm. and it can of course be a properly phrased fine-tuned well-honed question it would come back with a well-researched text, bullet pointing, all the various legal hurdles, the potential issues, etc. That would feed into the project development. And at some stage, you have a product, which then at that stage, they would go back to the lawyer, to the uh, legal firm, and then um, higher, let's say, partner level legal advice. So mm-hmm. the outcome of this is first, from the point of view of the legal firm. The legal firm would have, as you said, a annuitized income, an annuity, a fee income, which comes in every year. This is important to a legal firm because by definition, its income is a little bit lumpy, especially if it is a a smaller law firm. Mm. 
So that will smooth out revenues and commensurately smooth out earnings and investors in legal companies like that. Second, um, it is scalable. They can do this in other sectors of their legal uh, firm. Third, it ties the client in, as you said, because mm -hmm. they are likely to actually come with other legal problems to mm -hmm. this particular legal firm. Also, they might actually use word of mouth and other uh, clients can be sourced. B, big, big other sector from the point of view of the client, it reduces expenses. Uh, it keeps project development costs low at a mm. time when the project is still in development and when from the point of view of the product developing company, it is as yet unclear whether this is going to be a product that it can profitably bring to mm. market. So during that time, it keeps expenses down and only it incurs the higher legal expenses when the product is at an implementation stage. Mm. And I think that is now finally the first time that we have, maybe it's not the first time, but it is a possible real world commodity. You know, application of an AI that I think everybody can understand and get on board with, mm. especially also investors. So mm. I'm I'm excited by this. And this is where... I sort of, this is one example of the sort of things which we were discussing in the past, in our past shows, where I, I, I was saying that we still need to actually see the emergence of com commoditizable products, applications mm. of AI. And I think this yeah. is the sort of thing which we're going to see more often. Yeah. Um, I have to say, you know, when you're talking about it, it's uh, fascinating, uh, this, this subject. And I, I just, I was just thinking there might be two, the two, two things here. Uh, weaknesses potentially one is maybe you'd have to dumb down the AI at some stage restrict it because if the client said you know what are the legal problem you know uh, issues I would have with vaping you know making vaping products you hit the you know, hit the key comes out with five points and then it says okay you know fair enough goes to the lawyer and then says okay the ai says this what do you say and if they say well that's exactly what i would have said <laughs> if you get that enough times the client's going to think well what's the point in having the lawyer then you know you're going to have to try to somehow build in a human you know um element that's going to add to it can i respond to that yeah no, of course yeah no that is exactly the point Okay. The point is not having the lawyer. Mm. If the point was not that, there would be no point to the entire to the entire idea. Mm. The point is that at the early stages of mm. product development, you replace potentially expensive outside oh, counsel mean, yeah. with access to a machine. No, fair enough. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, of course, now we're drifting into a wider social debate, which we always have when automation of any scale comes mm. in. It sort of would make the existence of lawyers at that level less uh, justifiable from the point of view mm. of the law company. But then, mm. you know, that may not be so nice if you are perhaps a paralegal who is going to be rationalized away. But from mm. the point of view of the law company, again, that would again mm. speak to 
the development of such yeah. a product rather than against it because it can also lower your staff costs. Yeah. So, so that's the first point. No, fair enough, fair enough. And the other thing I was going to say was, um, you know, I wonder whether this would give a much bigger advantage to the bigger law firms because they will have more cases, more people that, you know, more ability to put more you know, information into the system rather than uh, some, you know, small, lo smaller local place because they just won't have the volume. Um, I mm -hmm. mean, what do you think? I mean, do you think that's a fair point? Or? Yes, I think that might well be the case. And if it mm. is the case, and if we are going to see AI applications of this nature becoming de rigueur, so to speak, mm. then uh, it might actually lead to further consolidation in the legal in the mm. legal sector for precisely this reason. Mm. Now, if it does, um, if it were, if it were to advantage bigger law firms, it would be for the reason that you also curate, you train the AI mm. on proprietary legal information that is not open source. Mm. And as I said in my little sort of chat earlier, I think that would, however, be the, um, the, the competitive advantage of this law firm's AI relative to mm. that other law firm's AI, because mm. otherwise it would just be a general AI which sits on open open source data, which everybody can access, which is fine. Uh, and that is, of course, also accessible by the small law firms. Mm. Um, but yes, oh. I, I, I believe that is a possibility. I just had an idea, Again, an idea, right, <laughs> is... You could almost have, you know, like you have right move for um, buying properties. Yeah. Couldn't you do something like that with law? Because then what you do is everyone, you'd have like a central one and everyone puts in their, you know, their information. So it could be that the, the magic circle firms decide they want to keep their own. Mm. But then you could have another platform where you have, where it could say, well, you know, um, this would be for all the mid-sized firms, let's say mid-sized and small firms, to put their information in, and then they can use they can then use that as to you know to to level up the playing field versus the big, you know the big players perhaps. But I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, who, who knows where the yeah. development is going to go? Let's just hope that uh, that idea is not going to turn out to be purple bricks rather than yeah, well, exactly, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Um, so, I mean, other than that, though, I mean, we're talking about law, but it could be applicable, as we, we were saying mm. earlier, um, to lots of other industries. So, Absolutely. insurance industry, uh, yep. investment banking, um, tax accounting, mm. accounting generally. Um, Anything really with a technical framework. Yes. But yes, any any more thoughts on that? No, no in, entirely. And this is mm. why, why I'm so excited about this, because mm. it could actually be applied to any kind of industry where, let's say, intellectual property is key. Yeah. By which I mean an expertise and a, a knowledge of and expertise to uh, juggle with regulation. That, that, mm. that sentence, if you examine it, didn't make sense grammatically, but I, th <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I was sorry. trying to make this too complicated, but I think, yeah. I, I think you know what I mean. Um, and for example, tax accountancy is fantastic. It's, it's a superb mm. example of this. I mean, mm. for a company mm. of your nature, for example, where you might actually find it 
it would add value to you to employ a tax accountant. But mm -hmm. these people might just charge a little bit too much to extend the benefit to you. If mm -hmm. you had access to an AI which knows, which was trained on uh, a knowledge of all the tax regulations which mm -hmm. are applicable in your sector, and you just basically type in all the information, you don't even have to do it if the information was held mm. uh, in a uh, inalterable way on on blockchain, mm. then basically could just be automated. The entire thing could be automated, and it would mm. be like a like a self populating self assessment tax uh, application, which we do sort of every year. Mm. And you could just basically do that. Maybe yeah. you give it a once over by a tax accountant towards the end who charges you a nominal fee for it. And and then it is sometimes said, I, I've, I've sort of chatted with other people about similar sort of things in the past. And some pushback yeah. which I had was, well, but the tax accountants or whoever the incumbent of that um, service yeah. is would surely push a push back against it yeah but then maybe they wouldn't because mm. you have a certain elasticity here yes there would be less expertise involved from yeah. the point of view of the tax accountant mm -hmm. but then also there would be less time involved so you would charge less but the mm. service would maybe take you five minutes to just mm. give it a once over and and yeah. uh, put a legal uh, a, a legalizing signature yeah, and and that's it. I mean, you don't even have to do it. Yeah. That that's where all the paralegals might actually go. Yeah. So anyway, I'm now I'm clearly talking in in more general terms, but I think this type of application would find a home in mm. any uh, industry which is which is dominated by by this type of dynamic. Mm. You you mentioned the insurance industry making policy literature accessible to people. Mm. That actually will sound amusing because none of us understands policy literature. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. funny thing about it is the insurance industry know mm. that nobody does so. They have been yeah. for the last 10 years that I know project groups in pretty much every insurance company which I used to follow as an analyst tasked with making policy literature more understandable to customers. Mm. Well, that's sort of exactly where an AI might actually find an mm. application. Mm. Anyway, so so yes, I, I think the future is going to see wide-ranging and incisive changes in corporate practices, and, yeah. uh, and this is going to be one source of it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so anyway, let's move on to the final one. Uh, we've got to try and keep this brief, I guess, but um, is to say... There's been a lot of stuff going on with regard to TikTok. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the TikTok so is owned by ByteDance, and TikTok is is uh, currently being looked at by U.S. regulators. They're also they they're doing a tour in, of sort of European um, countries at the moment to try to convince them that they are not a uh, potential security risk. Um, so obviously we know that the the U.S. if you're U.S. government employees, EU employee um, EU uh, was you know uh, I don't know it was it EU well, anyway so in Europe anyway basically government employees then they're all banned from TikTok. Um, Sunak is under pressure to mm. do the same thing for British uh, government employees as well. Um, so 
Um, so the next step is potentially if TikTok is not successful in convincing, um, you know, uh, the, the, the regulators and things that, that the, that the user data is not safe, mm. then I really do think that TikTok could get banned. Um, and I think that at the moment it doesn't feel like that because everyone uses it and it's just everywhere. And the, 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 uh, you know, the growth has been exponential, um, over the last few years. But I just think that, you know, that all this chat about having data centers in Europe or data centers in America, um, to, to make sure that this stuff is kept locally and it isn't accessible by, the Chinese government, if there, if it is indeed accessible, um, you know, this is this is a very big thing. And and if it was banned, it would be pretty disastrous for TikTok and its owner ByteDance because they're thinking of you know listing, and this could absolutely decimate their valuation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, I mean, what 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 do you what do you think of that, Ralph? Well, it's it's a fascinating development. I mean, to cast mm. maybe a wider net and a wider framework, it almost looks to me as if <laughs> as if the Biden administration may feel that it is outgoing and that it's not going to be uh, in the president in the Oval Office in the next administration period. And mm. we see we we see a lot of bold moves from this administration at the moment the anti inflation mm. act we have just discussed the mm. wide ranging potential changes to the tax mm. system and now we see a, a threat uh, to to ban tiktok outright now mm. if that was to happen <laughs> i would be greatly well, when, I don't know. I, I would be greatly amused by it in, in, in a mm. sense. Not because I think uh, corporations should be banned. That would not be a good thing. But because the U.S. administration would clearly send a signal, a message to people saying that if there are security concerns, then we will not shy away from banning the technology. Mm-hmm. Now, I make the statement, but I'm sort of, as I'm saying it, I'm sort of aware that this would, that for this to have teeth, it would need to be uniformly applied. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of not really cool to ban TikTok if you do not then also ban or put restrictions on Facebook because it also was engaged at one time at least in activities which Mm. caused security concerns. Mm -hmm. And if that therefore was to be carried out, a ban against TikTok, without embedding it in a uniform approach to other tech companies, Mm. it would start smacking or smelling less of a new and boldly implemented regulatory generic policy yeah. and perhaps start to be seen as another salvo in the uh, deteriorating or sharpening uh, US-Chinese, uh, mm. let's let's call it trade war in, in, in yeah. want of a better word. So there are many aspects to this, but reducing it to the most obvious one, which is um, attacking and tackling security issues mm-hmm. generated by technology companies yes i would i would say it sends a good message 
but there is that if, if it was to be uniformly applied mm. to other tech companies as well. No, I agree. I think that's the thing. If it did get banned, it would cause massive shockwaves among mm. all of social media. Um, I think that they would really smarten up their acts because they would be thinking, well, if this can happen to TikTok, yeah. it can happen to us. But, exactly. you know, there is there is one place which I think would be very safe um, for all this uh, user information to be stored. And I think that place is Joe Biden's garage. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, we know that, you know, he, he keeps his secret documents in his garage. And as he said, it's not as if he leaves his garage open. I mean, he does lock no, the garage. Uh, it's locked, so, isn't it? It's yeah. no issue. Yeah. It's in it's in the boot of his Corvette exactly. as well, isn't it? So doubly exactly. it's doubly locked. It's not like Malalaga no. where anybody can just walk no. in. No. So there we go. I mean, I think that you know he could. I I think that Joe Biden just needs to just just to, you know he could just chip in and say, look, it's fine, guys. If, it, if this is what you're worried about, my garage, I'll make it available. <laughs> so you know. So anyway, on on that, uh, on lots that of note. lots of advice to Biden. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so um, so I think we'll we'll end uh, today's uh, a Biden edition. Um, and um, we so ab- thank you very much. We abandon. We abandon. Oh my God! I shouldn't try to be funny. Please, no. no. Please do. I'm not going to say anything <laughs> anymore. Okay, good. Uh, well, you're just biding your time, aren't you, really? Oh, so, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, oh, yes. uh, anyway, right. So, thank you very much. As always, brilliant. Um, always good fun, and just really, really interesting. Good, some good stuff this week, I think. Um, yeah. So anyway, so anyway, excellent. thank you very much, Ralph. And thanks have a lovely weekend, a lot, Peter. And thanks, everybody. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.